0: Thank you. Those of you who don't know me, I've um, been part of the Christian Family Centre for um, over 30 years now, and some of you think, that is unbelievable, you look so young, Young? how could that be? Um, no, but at about 12 years of age, uh, my family, uh, mum and dad, moved to the Christian Family Centre at Seton, um, and that's where... Um, I grew up and um, have been connected with the Christian Family Centre and part of the church there, was on staff as the youth pastor down at Seton um, for uh, about seven years, Um, served in the church there, got baptised there, got married there, baptised by Pastor David Smythe there at the Christian Family Centre, married there at the Christian Family Centre to my beautiful wife, Sondra. Um, What's that? Oh yeah, David and Marina did our pre-marriage counselling. We won't tell you all the wonderful advice they gave us, but something must have been, they've done something right because we've been married now, what, 20, yeah, I'm in trouble, um, 22 years, 22 years in February, yes, um, so you did something right, um, so it's great to be with you, although you may not feel connected to me or know how that connection's happened, but um, David's Bland and myself were on staff together at the Christian Family Centre, so we were very connected. We spent a lot of time debriefing in the hallways and talking in our offices um, there at the Family Centre down at Seton before before I left for Papua New Guinea, and then a number of years later he moved up this way. So yeah, this morning I've titled my sermon, uh, Love Local, Go Global, and yes, it's a missions sermon. and I love to preach about missions, but this was the request of Pastor David. So um, don't think I've just come to beat my missions agenda or missions program or something like that, but he has asked for me to share a, a missions-focused message. Um, so we're going to talk about loving local and going global. And I think the two, the two do go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other. So let's start with the Great Commission. Um uh, Am I going to do that or are you going to do it? If I don't do it, then you just back me up, okay? You can be that second line. Thank you, David. Um, We had this discussion. Was he going to do it or I going to do it? I'm not used to doing it, but we'll see how we go. Let's have a look at the Great Commission. Verse 28, uh, chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, but it starts in verse 16. It's not up there, but verse 19 on is. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So in the midst of their worship, and they've gone to Jesus, they've seen him, now they're worshipping him, uh, then he says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he says, I've got all authority. I am the highest authority that there is. Above heaven and earth, everything is under me. So now that gives me the right now to give you instructions, to give you a command, to give you a directive for your lives as the disciples, what you're going to do now and for the rest of your lives. So he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the disciples are there, they're worshipping him, they're loving Jesus, and he says, well I've got all authority, I've taken that position of authority, now I'm giving you a command and instruction, go and make disciples, go and preach the gospel, go and tell people about me, not just in your little area, not just to your people group, but to all, to the ends of the earth. And then Acts 1 verse, um, here we go, I'll get this, there we go. Acts 1 verse 8 says, this is after Jesus has died and his resurrection and now he's um, about to ascend to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That to me sounds like loving local and going global. That it's a local mission, a local evangelism, but it's not just thinking about one little, one spot, it is actually having a mindset for all the nations. As we go to all the nations, you see all sorts of things. I took that photo. Um, this guy has, is not on the bike, he's pushing the bike, but the bike is loaded up with um, coconuts. This is, photo was taken in India, but at the ends of the earth you see all sorts of different things. Um, and So that's one of the things... This picture is a, a vehicle that I' traveled in for three hours. Pastor Barry was in the front. this was in September this year last year, and myself and another pastor from Australia were in the back, on the worst road that you could possibly imagine. Um, that little vehicle, we hit every bump. The driver that was driving it, Pastor Barry was actually giving him instructions on how to drive. Um, he knew how to get into first, then second and third, but didn't realize that when you slow down, you should go down to second. Um, when you're coming up to a, a bump or something like that. So either he would hit the bumps at high speed or would slow down and not turn, go down his gears. By the end of the trip, um, the driver and Pastor Barry were having many arguments over whether the driver actually knew how to drive or not. He kept saying, yes, I know how to drive. He says, but you don't know how to drive. Um, so they were having a, a, a long debate over whether he knew how to drive or not. But that three-hour trip was a very long trip. I felt like I was going to the ends of the earth. Um, this is... Um, just out of info. Infal itself is a city um, that every building looks like it's old, even the new ones. Um, and, yeah, so we then drove three hours from there along this dirt road to get to this place to speak to some Bible college students and a few different things. But, um, yeah, that was a very long trip. I eventually set, got off the seat in the back and sat on the floor because it was more comfortable than the seat I was sitting in um, for three hours. But, um, yes, so that felt like we were going to the ends of the earth. Uh, Let's have a look at a scripture in, oh wait, I'll go back a bit. Let's not get there yet. So clearly from these, the Great Commission and from Acts chapter 1, we can see that there's a clear instruction from those scriptures for us to have a mission that is local, a local church, but also a mission for the nations. There is no B plan. This is God's plan that you and I will reach locally, reach our communities and also reach the nations. There is no other plan for God. It's you and me, it's our local churches impacting the nations. That so we're to have both: a local mission and a global mission. To me, local, loving local means loving our family, loving our community, loving the city that God's put us in, and loving our local church. I want to encourage you to love your local church. Love this place, love your pastors, love the people that you do church with pour out lots of love on one another those people sitting next to you pour out love the people that come to church with you maybe new people you don't know pour out love into their lives we've got to love our local church for me loving your local church means maybe turning up to church on time hallelujah I'm not looking at anybody I don't know anybody Um, those who are regularly late but come on time be willing to do anything around the place If you're here and you've been here for some time and you're not involved, find a way to get involved in your local church. There's lots of things that need to be done around a local church. So get involved in some way. Make a contribution. Saying yes to the opportunities that you get asked to do. Maybe a pastor or the leadership team say, could you get involved in this and helping here? Just say yes. It's not hard to say yes. Um, So get involved. Doing something to help other people. Uh, Giving your giving you a tithe I'm surprised at how many people attend local churches but don't tithe um, part of loving your local church is giving your financial contribution into that church so it can function and do all that it's meant to do another way of loving your local church is by not criticizing your pastors criticizing your leaders it's so easy to complain and criticize and I remember a time when I was at Seton that there were some young people who started to complain and criticise about Pastor Bill. And eventually I had to actually distance myself from them because I started to think the same as them because I was spending so much time about them. I said, I love my pastor. Why am I thinking these thoughts? But I was just hearing all this criticism. So I had to actually distance myself. Um, but eventually they didn't continue to go to the church and a number of them have actually left church altogether. But they allowed criticism to come in. So don't criticise Another way to love your local church is by just welcoming new people that do come along. So let's love our local church, love this place, love being here, love worshipping, love attending um, because it rubs off on everybody else that comes along. Now let's move on to Isaiah. In Isaiah 58, there's, there's time in Israel's history and the people were doing a lot of spiritual activities but they weren't getting the answers to their prayers. Um, So there was all this outward expression of spirituality and fasting and prayer and all sorts of things happening. But God said to them, this is not, you've missed something in this. You've missed my heart. You've missed what I'm about. So verse 1 to 5 talks about that, but they'd missed the point. But verse 6 tells us, verse 6 and 7, tell us what God is looking for in our spiritual activity, what sort of response that he's actually looking for from each one of us. Verse 6 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? So they were talking about that all their fasting. So, well, you're fasting, but nothing's happening. So, say, Well, this is the type of fasting. This is the type of spiritual activity I want to see. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. Verse 7. It is not to share, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to and not to turn away from your flesh and blood. He's saying, I want your spiritual activity to actually produce something that actually impacts other people's lives, that it has... All that spiritual stuff that you're doing, it's all about you. It's all about self. It's all about what you're going to get. And God is saying to them at this point in time, I don't want that. I want you to have a heart for others. So they'd completely missed the heart of Christ. They'd completely missed the heart of the Father. And if we look at Luke oh, Luke 4, verse 19, uh, 18 and 19, it talks about that heart that Jesus had. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So these people had all this spiritual activity, but they'd missed the heart of God. Jesus there is saying, this is my heart, that the oppressed would be set free, that the year of the Lord's favour would be proclaimed, that the blind people would see. That's his heart. He wants us to be involved in this type of activity. When we focus on others, we function as the local body of Christ to that community. That is the local church, isn't it? Proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. And I want to tell you, we're in a new year, it's 2018. Well, today, this year is the year of the Lord's favour. And maybe you feel oppressed or maybe you feel that you're, you're there's blindness or darkness or trouble around you. I want to tell you, God's favour is towards you. You're not in this place by accident. You're not following Christ by accident. I've been following Christ for over 30 years. But I can say with confidence that this year is the year of the Lord's favour, that his favour is upon me, not because I do missions work or this or that, but because he has chosen me and called me. God's favour is upon you. And today, if you need to hear that, that you feel like, God, where are you and what's going on? Maybe you feel oppressed or down or difficulties or just 2012 was a year of struggle for you. Let me tell you, this, this is the year of God's favour. God's favour and blessing is upon you because that's what he does. He's a God who picks us out, picked me out. I lived in, grew up right in the middle of Central Australia. In a little Aboriginal community of 800 people. Really a place of insignificance. No one goes to right in the middle of the desert. But God picked me out. He chose me. He saw me and rescued me and saved me and put me on a path of favour and blessing from him. It's the same for you. Maybe you feel like I'm just a nobody or from nowhere. But let me tell you, God's favour and blessing... Is towards you. And when we get that revelation and we get that understanding, it causes us to shift from thinking about ourselves to thinking to others. So these people, these Israelites, all their spiritual activity was about getting stuff for themselves. God is saying, Oh, let's actually flip that around and say, well, it's not about getting stuff for yourself. It's about actually doing something for others. And that was God's whole purpose of the nation for the nation of Israel. He wanted them to be a leadership nation for nations. He said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you would be a blessing. So all the blessing that we receive is to be a blessing and to pour out that blessing onto others. And we live an amazingly blessed nation. As I travel around, I... Particularly when we went to Papua New Guinea there and started to live there. Um, The first year we went to so many funerals. Um, People dying very, very young of things that I know that in Australia that person would not die. And man, it did our head in to realise how blessed as a nation we are, but how how come this is not available for them? Friends and family members of people we know. But man, God, we we live in a blessed nation not just with medical, but so many things that God has blessed us and opportunities God has given us to be a blessing to the nations. So it's easy for us to allow our spiritual lives to be focused on us. Let's turn that around and make sure that our, the focus of the blessing that comes towards us is that we can then bless others, whether that's in our local community, whether that's a blessing into the family that you're in or here in your local church or somewhere in this community up here. Or in the city of Adelaide, but also, okay, I can be a blessing to the nations. There's a promise. There's a promise that goes on as this scripture goes on. In verse 8, it tells us there that for those who look out for others, there's a promise that God has their rear guard, that God has your back. That when we actually step out and look out for others, we can think, well, if I do that, I'm gonna miss out, or I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna come up short. But God says, if you step out for others, there's a promise that He has our back. How awesome is that? That God says, Yep, I've got your back. And then the promise goes on. If you look in verse, verse nine, oh verse ten, it says, If you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noon of day, or the noonday. Hallelujah. Who wants that? That if it's saying there, really, it's saying if you take your eyes off your own problems and actually meet other people's problems, your problems are going to become like daylight. That your problems and your struggles are actually going to be lifted, which seems like the opposite. Because our own troubles and struggles kind of in ourselves, we get drawn so much into ourselves and doing what's best for us. God's saying, well, if you don't get your eyes off yourself and actually focus on others, your own issues and all your own struggles, I'll sort them out. They'll become so much less. Maybe your situations won't change. Maybe that sickness will still be there. Maybe some of the family difficulties or struggles that you're going through will stay, the situation will stay the same. But your mindset, your attitude, your thinking towards those will actually shift away from being so focused on them and pulling you down day after day after day. There's some awesome promises there as we go down further in verse 11. The Lord will guard you always. He will satisfy your needs In a sun scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. What a promise! And I think that's a promise for uh, the church, the local church, that a local church that says we will look after others rather than just focus on ourselves. um, That there'll be well watered garden. like a spring that never fails, that there'll be enough there to satisfy anybody who comes who needs to to drink. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the old, age-old foundations. You'll be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings. Hallelujah. Don't we want to be known as that as a church, that we are a place where people get restored. We are a place where people get rebuilt a place where people come in who are broken or hurt or struggling or just trying to work out how their relationship with God works. And he says, yep, if you look out for others, you, you as a people will be known to people who are part of that work of restoring lives. So as we keep strong churches, we have a global impact. But you're going to look at me and say, how can a small group of people have a global impact? You look around and I don't know how many people are here, but you can say, we're not, compared to a nation of India, which is 1.2 billion people, we think, well, how can we have a global impact? How can we impact the world with being such a small group of people? And that thought or that fear can come in. That issue can come in. The disciples were in a very situation where there was just 11 of them. This is a small group of them. And um, If you have a look at John 20, verse 19 to 22, it talks about the disciples being scared and afraid and locked in a room. They put themselves in this room and they locked the door because it says, it says in there that they were scared of the Jews. The ones who had just killed Jesus, the ones that Jesus had told them to go and reach and evangelise and minister to, they were scared of them and they'd locked themselves in this room. Jesus comes into that room. And says, peace be with you. And the disciples are happy. All their fear, their worries, their anxiety are gone. And they're thinking, this is great. And then Jesus shows them his hands and his feet, shows them how much he loves them. And then he says, peace be with you. And they're going, yes, Jesus is with us. His presence is here. We're in this little safe space. We can stay here. It's all good. But then Jesus says, peace be with you. As I was sent, I am now sending you. I'm sending you out to the nations. I'm sending you out to those people that you're afraid of. I'm sending you out to the thing that you think is impossible. You're going out to impact the nations. And then it says that he breathed on them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit at that moment. So the disciples were just a small fearful group. But by the presence of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Spirit went on from that moment to have a global impact. They had a choice in that moment. Would they stay in that room and stay there forever or would they launch out, would they reach out, would they overcome their fear and go forward? By Jesus' presence and by the breath of his Holy Spirit they moved and transitioned from being in that small room to being a group of 12 people, 11 people, Then one was out of 12 people who impacted the nation's and fulfilled and started to outwork the Great Commission. Let me tell you about this young lady. Her name is Aliza, and um, <coughs> she is from India. Um, she doesn't look like your classic, classic southern Indian but up near the Chinese border, the, the Indian people up there look a, a lot more of what we would look or Filipino or Asian. Um, but she's um, <coughs> she's a wonderful young lady um, and A number of years ago we brought her to Papua New Guinea and she was trained there when we were living there. She was on staff and doing missions work and part of our missions training school. Um, At the beginning of, not last year, the year before, the beginning of 2016, um, she left Papua New Guinea, went back to India and we sent her down to a place called Jalpur right on the Bangladesh and India border and there's military everywhere, there's people everywhere, but we sent her there with a team of three girls, rented a house and said, you girls are here to plant a church. Um, and in Indian culture, they um, girls don't do that. And they, the three girls that we sent in Indian culture are, are of a low caste. So many people that they went to see actually wouldn't even give them a cup of water from to drink out of a cup that then they would drink out of later. They would give them a bottle or they'd give them something else, but they wouldn't allow them to use their own utensils, their own cups, their own things. So these girls are really ostracised. These girls are really, by many, pushed away. Um, but now, this is on top of the house that we've rented for them. This was in September this, last year. They have a service there with about 20 people coming along. Um, not all of those are Christian yet, um, but a number of them are. And uh, late last year, we or the year, sorry, late uh, 2016, we had the privilege of baptising their first convert there in that, that place of Jalpaguri. But these young girls, three of them, who could have thought, let's just stay where it's safe. Let's stay where it's not difficult. Let's stay where we're not going to be at risk. have stepped out, have been sent out by faith, and have actually started a church. Um, Last Christmas, not this just one, the one before that, they had a hundred people come to their house at Christmas time to celebrate Christmas with them. Nowhere near any half of those are Christians or whatever. There's only probably a handful that would be Christian. But they came, they sang carols, they heard the gospel message, they got a feed, um, and they were willing to hear this message because these, or because Elisa was willing to go and base herself in that town right there on the Bangladesh border. Part of what we do there as well is. the girls at the, the school in West Bengal, um, which is about an hour, hour and a half's drive from Siliguri to Jalpaguri, um, we have a, a sanitary pad um, system where the girls sew, uh, sew up and prepare and make washable sanitary pads because there's a huge issue for this for ladies in, in India. Um, A lot of ladies don't have the finance to buy um, sanitary pads and if they do they've been sitting on the cells for so long that they're actually getting infections because um, of the sanitary pads. So we're actually uh, producing ourselves with our students um, cloth sanitary pads that can be washed and hung out and people, um, they just look like a bit of material, colourful material that no one's embarrassed to actually see hanging on the line. Um, But it's actually meeting a need in the nation of India. Um, so our girls sew them and this is part of the distribution of those sanitary pads and they had about 30 ladies come just to receive those sanitary pads and in another city um, where we do a similar thing, they had over 100 ladies come wanting to actually receive uh, the sanitary pads and to, and as we present those we always present the gospel um, but meeting a need, meeting an issue um, but with a presentation of the gospel but these girls... Back to Elisa. She stepped out in faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and believing that God would use her to impact others as she's meeting the needs of the people in that community. (coughs) Let's have a look at this. Loving local and going global means getting involved. You cannot stay inactive. We need to get involved as a local church it means getting involved and I love this story in 1 Samuel 14 verse 6 talks about Jonathan and Jonathan and his armour bearer you you probably know the story Samuel his father was the king of the nation and he'd led the nation for some time but he'd led them into defeat and rebellion against God and basically there was a handful of them sitting under a pomegranate tree the enemy was all around them They were sitting sitting there, stationary, going nowhere. Oppressed, disappointed, discouraged. And Jonathan thinks to himself, perhaps the Lord could do something. Maybe God could do something through me. He had a sword and he had an armor bearer. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the opposite, the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So saying, well, I'm going to take action. I'm going to do something. I can't sit here and do nothing. I have a sword. I've got to do something. And for you and I, we need to get involved. If we're going to love our local community, if we're going to love our local church, if we're going to have a global impact, it's going to mean getting involved, whether that's in a big way or a small way. But we know the story with Jonathan, that he said, I'm going to get involved. He said, well, the Lord can save by many or by few. He focused on what the Lord could do. He knew that he was just one man with one sword and his his friend with him. And that had all the armies out to battle and been defeated. But he thought, maybe the Lord could do something with me. I like the word perhaps there. It's not that he's got a definite certainty. Well, if I step out in faith, God will has to do something. He says, maybe God could do it. And his plan was this. If we we go over to the enemy and we stand out in front of them and tell them we are here, and if they say, we'll come down to you, that means basically we're dead. We've got to run for our lives. Or if they say, come up to us, that means God's given us the victory. And they went over and they crept over to the enemy's camp, the outpost. And the enemy, they stood out in front of the enemy, revealed themselves to the enemy and the enemy said, here we are, they're they're screaming and shouting, "Say, here we are. They said, come up. So they had to climb up a mountain. That is the worst place to be in a battle, is on the lower ground. If you want to take a position in battle, hand-to-hand combat, you want the higher ground. So they were coming from the lower ground. They were coming from a position of defeat, of low They came up into a battle. They got a victory right there that day. And then the scriptures goes on to tell us that not only did they get a victory there in that local, that little spot where they picked a fight, that God confused everybody. And they started to push the whole enemy back, these Philistines back and then David, uh, Saul sees what's going on so he joins the battle and then all the Israelites who were living in fear and defeated and up in the mountains they come in and join the battle as well and it says God gave Israel a great victory that day how did that victory start? it started by just a young boy saying I can do something perhaps God will work with me perhaps I'll take a step of faith I'll take some risk I'll do something I can't just sit here and do nothing he says I'll do something I'll step out I'll get involved He got involved in the battle and led the whole nation into a great fight that had an impact across that whole nation. So we need to get involved. And maybe many of you are involved in so so many ways. But as we begin 2018, is there another area? Is there some areas that the Lord is specifically saying to you, I want you to step out in faith and I want you to get involved with? Maybe you've never thought of running a a house group or a connect group. I don't know what you call them here or a fellowship group in your home. Maybe you could say, yeah, well, something's been stirring to you. And you could go to the leaders and say, yeah, I'd like to be involved in a fellowship group, a connect group. I want to participate in my local church. I want to get more involved. Maybe you can help with the Sunday school. Sunday schools all around the world are always looking for more workers. I don't know if it's the same in this church, but they're looking for people to get involved. Maybe you can make a contribution there the skills and talents that you've got. Find a way to use them to love your local church, to love your local community. How are you involved? Maybe you can get involved in going on a missions trip. And I know from here the church uh, in the past and, uh, has done trips to Myanmar. I think Pastor David Bland is thinking of going, or well, is planning to go back there again this year. Um, I'll invite you on a trip with him. I'm not going, but I'll invite you to go with him. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that or not. He can tell me off later. Um, but maybe you've thought about going on a missions trip. Get involved some way. Explore what God is doing out in the nations. Go for a week or two to Myanmar or somewhere else that um, you can engage with in the nations. Um, and be involved. I know for me, my first step in terms of international missions was going to Papua New Guinea as a university student. I had a choice to make. Buy a car that was a nice car or buy a bomb of a car and go on a missions trip. So I spent all my money that I'd save for my car and went on a missions trip uh, and then came back and bought this little old um, Toyota Corolla, which I caught much flack for from all my uh, youth friends who had their Commodores. Um, but they gave me, gave me flack, but I thought, well, I've done it for a reason. I want to use that money that I had saved up to go and engage and involved in missions trip. And that trip to Papua New Guinea uh, actually transformed my life as a 18, 19 year old. Um, So get involved in a missions trip. You will not come back the same. It will cost you something, time, maybe your holidays or some finance, um, but get involved. See what you could do. Find a way to participate in a missions trip or doing missions somehow. Get involved in loving your community. Is there something you can do to just to pour out love into your community? There are so many lonely people around. There's so many people. We live in a society here in Australia, and coming back from um, from Papua New Guinea and coming back to Australia, we've realised how isolated so many people's lives are in Australia. That we have our house and our remote control that opens the roller door. We drive in, press the roller door comes down. And then we stay in that little area. And then when we go to work, the roller door comes up, and we drive out. Uh, we don't see our neighbours. We don't see the people around us. Um, so we realise how isolated and lonely many people are uh, in Australia. And so I encourage you: love your neighbour, do something for them, get to know them, get to spend time with people around in your community. Not maybe they're not even Christians. That you could just pour out some love on people, and that. For many people, is a scary thing, showing love to a total stranger or starting up a conversation with somebody you don't know. Um, but go for it. Step out. It's going to take action if we're going to love our community. And also, as I've said already, getting involved in your local church. Find ways to get involved here where you can make a contribution to the, the church here. Church, local church, is meant to be a place where you're involved let's ask for increase, but ask without doubting. Can we believe or ask for increase for this local church? Could you set that in your prayer agenda that, God, we want our church to increase in number, that we want more people to be here. We want to have this place full and have to put on extra services. We want to have more people attending. And that can sound a very arrogant thing to ask for, or a very bold thing to ask for, or even sometimes we say, well, does God really want us to grow or to increase? In um, in James chapter 1, verse 6, James, when referring to asking for wisdom, says, ask for wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. But then he says, ask. But when you, be- or when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave on the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. He says, don't. Ask but without doubting. Like Added to that, then you look at this next story in Mark chapter nine, verse twenty four, is the man who asked and wanted his son to be healed, but then found that he didn't have the belief. So then he says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So maybe we can think, oh, yes, we want this place to be full, but there's doubts or this thing. why hasn't it happened before? Or we've asked and you've been asking for so many years, but it hasn't happened. But continue to ask. We can ask with confidence because it is God's will to reach people's lives and to be a place where God uses us to repair the brokenhearted. We can have absolute confidence and boldness to ask and ask and keep on asking for this place to be full up for more people to come to know Christ, for more people to be in this church. Why not? If We can ask without doubting because we are believing and we are asking for something that is the heart of God, that people would be set free, that the brokenhearted would be restored, that people who are lost would know Jesus Christ. So let's keep asking. Let's not give up on faith and not give up on believing that this place would be full and overflowing Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's not the wrong thing to ask. It's not a selfish motive. And we've been going through this in Cairns because the church we're going, going to has just bought an, in the process, subject to council approval, we will have our own property. Um, after 15 years of a, as of renting a school hall and um, we made a bold step of faith to actually buy a property. Uh, it's a three shop lots. Um, and if the council give us approval because we've got a few little parking issues with the council, but if they can get over being one car park short, um, we may have approval. So hopefully this week we'll um, get our answer from council and um, the pastor there, Pastor David Wright, I think he preached here last year or the year before. Um, We've stepped out in faith and moving into that. But we're, as a church, stirring ourselves to ask and believe that as we move into that new property, um, that we would actually be able to fill it. And we're saying, is that the right thing, wrong thing to ask? Some, some of the people in that church have been there for 15 years and they've been asking for a property for, for almost 10 years. Um, but now they're seeing the answers to all those prayers. So we're excited and believing that as we step out in faith into that place that there'll be many new opportunities come our way. Well, Jesus is committed to building his church. Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not come against it. What a promise. Ah, We are part of something that is so strong. We are part of something that Jesus Christ is building. He himself is so interested in this church and churches. that He wants, he will, so committed to it, so committed he gave his life to die on a cross so that he could build his church. And then he says, well, I have blessed you. I pour out my blessing and my favour upon you. I want to you to be part of my plan of reaching the nations, reaching your local community. There is no B plan. So for you and I, the Great Commission is something that we all need to engage in locally, sorry, personally, at a local church level, as well as a denominational level, at all levels We need to engage in the Great Commission. Christ is committed to it. He gave himself so much to it and then gives us a commandment with all authority to be involved at at a local level and a global level. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your Great Commission. I thank you that you gave yourself for lost and broken people that you gave yourself, that all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all people groups would come to know you. And, Father, as we hear those words, we can be challenged of how we can get involved. We can be challenged of it and be overwhelmed by how big the task is. But, Father, I just pray right now that through your Holy Spirit, like you came to the disciples in their fear in that little room and you breathed on them, and you were with them, you showed them your love, Father, I pray that you would breathe on each one of us by your Holy Spirit for 2018 and show us individually, show this local church, um, show us how we can be involved in loving local and glowing global. You're committed to it. You said you would build your church. And Lord, you use us as individuals to make our contribution, to be involved, to reach the nations. So, Father, I pray for each person here, that you just speak to them by your Holy Spirit, encourage them, guide them, show them. Father, those that you are pushing towards making a decision to get involved in a way that they've never been involved before, Father, that you would um, give them the boldness and the courage to overcome their doubts or fears or worries, to step out and say, yeah, I'm going to be involved. I'm going to engage in that new area of activity or in in a deeper level or a new way, Father, as you draw them forward. Father, we thank you for your favour and your grace that you pour out upon each and every one of us. In your mighty name I pray, amen.